0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Aaron Glover. I'm the pastor here at FBC Troop, and I just want to welcome you all and thank you all for joining us. If you're a guest with us, thank you for joining us to worship. Today is going to be a special day uh, for several reasons. Number one, first and foremost, that we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper today, and we're going to discuss the importance of that this morning. And then also, uh, this is my first time to ever lead a congregation in taking the Lord's Supper. So I am very thankful that y'all will be very forgiving if and when I make a mistake this morning. Um, but today uh, is going to be a wonderful day. I'm very excited about this, this time that we're going to have. If I can go ahead and have our, have our deacons and those who are going to be distributing the elements coming forth to sit on the front row uh, with me here before we begin. Uh, now before we begin today, I want to give a couple of explanations on what's going on here. One of the things that we can get into in church sometimes is getting into going through the motions of a thing. We can go, oh, it's Lord's Supper time again. As Baptists, we typically do this about once a quarter. And we can get into just going through the motions of it and not honoring the gravity, the magnitude of what this means to us and what this means for us, what Christ Jesus has done for us and what is represented here in these elements today. And so as we partake, I want us to do that kind of with the lens of what the disciples would have taken that through on the night of the first supper. You see, sometimes we forget that when Jesus gathered his disciples together in that upper room that they were uh, Jews living under the occupancy of Rome and had a history and heritage and a reason they were even gathering together for this meal in the first place. And so I think it's important for us when we understand this meal And what's going to go on, why it was instituted, why they gathered for this in the first place, what Jesus was inaugurating, so to speak, and then what it is pointing us to in the future. And so if we remember, we've been in a series talking about Abraham the past few weeks, right? We've been talking about God's promises to Abraham and Abraham's responses in faith. And if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, God told Abraham not to fear, said that God would be his shield and that Abram's reward would be very great. And Abram starts asking God, yes, but what about my heir? You know, I only have this guy who lives in my house. His name's uh, Eliezer of Damascus. And God said to him, that man will not be your heir, but your own son shall be your heir, if we remember that. And then in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, a few verses later, God gives Abram a vision. After he has him cut a few animal bodies and split down the middle and have him pass through them. Part of ratifying a covenant, something that we don't do a whole lot of today. But then God gives Abram a vision that evening and a darkness falls upon him. And and God shows Abram that his children are going to be sojourners in a land that that is not their own. And that they're going to be afflicted in this land for 400 years. And Abram didn't know it at the time, but we can see looking back as we read the Old Testament that what was that was was the Jews who had come through his lineage would eventually wind back up in Egypt under Pharaoh and be enslaved by him. And so if we read the scriptures, we see that this all comes to pass. And if we look at Abraham as the first generation that this promise is made to, right? He's establishing a new people through Abraham. A new creation, as we've talked about spiritually, that would be the first generation. And in the seventh generation, we have a man born named Moses. And God raises up this man, Moses, and calls him to be the deliverer for his people that are enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God tells Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And he does. But Pharaoh hardens himself against God. And so God sends plague upon plague upon plague upon plague to Pharaoh, finally, until there's a final tenth plague that God threatens. And it's a plague that God is going to go through the land of Egypt and strike down the firstborn throughout all the land as a curse on the land for enslaving his people. But God is merciful. And he also makes a way for his people to be delivered from this curse. So he institutes what's called the Passover. Now in this Passover, he gives them very specific instructions on what the Jews were supposed to do. So that when God went through the land and struck down the land, they would be delivered from this. So you can see on the screen, the Jews had to observe these very specific instructions. They had to eat unleavened bread for seven days. They were to kill a spotless, a perfect, a blemishless lamb, a lamb without blemish, and they were to spread its blood over the doorways, the posts and the lintel of their door. And then they were to eat the lamb's flesh roasted by fire. The lamb couldn't be boiled, it had to be roasted by fire. And so the Jews did this. They followed uh, the instructions that were given through Moses. And God struck the land at midnight, striking down all the firstborn, but when he came by The homes who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, he would pass over those homes and death would not come to them. So in doing, God struck down the land of Egypt and delivered his children out. Pharaoh relented after this and let the children of Israel go. And God told Moses that, that his people, that Israel was to honor and observe this every single year throughout their generations. In remembrance that God had delivered them out of Egypt. Okay. And so this is the whole reason why Jesus and his followers, his disciples, were even in Jerusalem in the first place. Just like was their, their common, their, what they were supposed to do as able-bodied Jews, they made the journey to Jerusalem to observe the feast, the Feast of unleavened bread. Remember I mentioned they had to eat unleavened bread for seven days. And so generations later, after Moses going all the way through down you know, to King David, all the way down to Jesus eventually. It comes time for the Passover, and they go to Jerusalem for this feast. And in preparation for the feast, Jesus sends out two of his disciples to go find a very specific man who's going to have a room prepared for them, and then to go get the room and to meet there for this meal. Jesus and his disciples have gathered together to observe the Passover. So at this time, what I would like is for our deacons to come forward And to prepare the table and then distribute the bread. Now, before we move on a little bit, a note I, I should have mentioned at the very beginning is that what we're about to partake of today is only for believers in Christ Jesus. This is only for those who have put their trust and their faith in Him. If you have not done that, uh, then at this time I would ask that you do not partake of this. It doesn't matter if you're a member at another church, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us. But if you are not a believer, We would ask that you abstain from taking of the bread at this time. Now once the disciples had gathered together, they'd gotten everything prepared for the evening, come time to eat the Passover meal. This is something that Jesus looked forward to with his disciples this specific evening. And a few special events happened that evening that we're not going to get to today, but I want to mention them because I think they're very important. One of the first things Jesus does that night is, is he took off his His outer garment, wrapped a cloth around himself, got down and washed the feet of his disciples to prepare them for this. He washed every single disciple's foot, even the one who would betray him. He offered the same ministry to him as well. And then after that, there's a portion where they're going through the meal of the evening and Jesus identifies who would betray him. It's the one that he would give a piece of bread to, and it was Judas. And at that moment, Satan entered him, and he told him to leave and go quickly and and do what he was about to do. And so Judas left them. So then it's just Jesus and 11. And then a, a discussion of rivalry rises up from among the disciples. They start discussing about who would be the greatest among them. And then finally, Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him. Even though Peter said that he would die for him. Which is something eventually Peter would do according to church history. But finally, after all of that, we come to the portion of the evening in the meal of Passover. Where Jesus begins to institute the Lord's Supper. Okay. So as we consider this evening as they are observing Passover. I want us to think about Jesus Christ as the true Passover lamb that was given for us I want us to see the connection between what God did in the Old Testament for the Jews for Moses and that generation and for us here today and what he's going to do through future generations all of this centered around the life of Christ Jesus the Jews were slaves in Egypt in a land and a life that they were never intended for that's not what God had for them and yet that's where they went because of their own disobedience, because of Abram's disobedience to God. But God had destined them to be free in the land of Canaan. And this can be likened to all of humanity. God created us to be blessed and to live free. But when we chose sin, we became enslaved to sin. And we began to live a life that we were never meant for. God did not create us to live a life of sin and suffering. He created us to live a life of blessing, and yet we chose sin. We are like them in that way. And so just as God brought judgment on Egypt through these plagues, and that final plague of death to strike down the firstborn, so eventually will there be a final judgment over all the earth. Because of sin, there is death. But where God made us to be alive, sin had condemned condemned us to death. But as I said, God is merciful. He desires us to be free and alive in Him. And just as He made a way for them to be delivered from their bondage in Egypt, He has made a way for us to be delivered from our bondage to sin. And that is through Christ Jesus. We said that they were to eat unleavened bread for seven days. Now, leaven's a common symbol for sin throughout the Scriptures. And this bread is also called the bread of affliction. And when we consider Christ Jesus, when he called this his body, the bread, his body, we know that he was also unleavened because he was sinless. He was perfect. There was no sin in him. And he took our affliction for us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in the second part of verse 23, he says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you take the bread at this time? And as we take the bread, we remember that he gave his body for us. Perfect and sinless. Taking our affliction so that we could have His freedom. At this time, I'd also like to have our our deacons and ushers come forward and uh, distribute the fruit of the vine. As we've already noted, in addition to the bread, the Jews were to also kill a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb. They took the blood and they were to spread it over their doorposts and the lintels of the doors, covering the doorway. And then they were to eat the flesh of that lamb roasted by fire. And fire is a symbol of judgment a symbol of punishment, which is why the lamb couldn't be boiled in water. It had to be roasted by fire, representing judgment for us in Christ Jesus. They took that blood, they spread it over the doorways of the home. And again, as when the Lord struck down the land, he would pass over the homes that had the lamb's blood on it, that delivered them from the plague of death. And in the same way, the true lamb, Christ Jesus, covers our dwelling, our hearts, and delivers us from the final plague, from the final judgment, and from death eternally. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin in Hebrews 9. And we're also told in the book of Leviticus that the life is in the blood, which is why blood is required for sin. You see that sin is death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And therefore, life must be given to cover sin. But the Bible also tells us that the blood of animals can never fully atone for the sins of humanity. There must be human blood for human sin to deliver us once and for all. And Christ Jesus did bleed and die in our place just as the lamb in the old testament was killed and roasted by fire so Christ Jesus was tested tried innocent and yet murdered he bled and died giving his blood to make atonement for our sin once and for all one sacrifice to sanctify those who are being perfected for all time in his blood and in the same way paul says in first corinthians 11 verse 25 in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me at this time will you take the fruit of the vine Continuing on, he said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In this remembrance of Christ, in taking the bread and the cup, we remember his suffering in our place and the giving of his own precious blood and that through faith we are delivered from our slavery to sin, just like the Jews were delivered from slavery in Egypt. We're delivered from the curse of death which passes over us. And like Israel, God brings us out of a cursed land and to a promised land. And for us, that promised land is to be dwelling with Him forever in the new Jerusalem. Now, unless we only look backwards at the things God has done, wondering what He will do next, Scripture tells us what He will do next. In the final book of the Bible, a revelation given to John, who wrote the book of John and several letters in the Bible, there's a section that describes the onset of the final events that lead to the final judgment. If you're following me, there's a parallel here between the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the last days. God has a story that began ages ago and is moving forward to his final will and decree. And in this section there's the final events coming to the final judgment of the wicked. But then the final blessing for the righteous. Now if you've been listening for the past couple of weeks. You know that we are not righteous because of what we do. But we are righteous because of faith in Christ alone. So when he talks about the blessing for the righteous and for the saints. That's each and every one of you who believes in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That's each and every one of us. Now before I read this passage, there's a lot of metaphors that are going to happen. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture. There's several metaphors in this. But I think it's important for us to see this today. He's going to talk about a scroll that's mentioned. That has seven seals. And this scroll must be opened before these final events can take place. Because if this scroll remains shut... Nothing written in the scroll will happen. And so, therefore, the final judgment and the final blessing for believers is postponed indefinitely if that scroll is left shut. And if this scroll represents the final will and testament of God, then only His true heir would be able to open the scroll. This is very important for us. I'm going to begin reading in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. John begins in verse 1. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. John says he sees a scroll in the hands of Almighty God sitting on the throne of heaven. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look onto it. He continues in verse 4, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David are poetic names given to Christ Jesus. You see, through the life Jesus lived, He not only qualified Himself to be a perfect sacrifice, but He qualified Himself to be worthy to receive everything that belongs to the Father. He alone is worthy. And between the throne, in verse 6, and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he, this lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is Christ Jesus approaching the throne of God and taking this from his right hand. In verse 8 it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Whose prayers are those? The saints. And you might not think of yourself as a saint, but if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. And those bowls, those golden bowls full of incense before the throne of God that he enjoys, are your prayers. Your prayers are offered up before God as incense that he enjoys. Those are your prayers in those bowls. Those are the prayers of believers throughout all of history. And they sang a new song saying, listen, in verse 9, Worthy are you, talking to the Lamb, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You, as a believer, are part of that ransomed people. You are the kingdom of God. You are... Are his priests living on this earth? That is who you are in Christ Jesus. And then I looked in verse 11, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbing, numbering myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them said every creature every creature saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might Forever and ever. And the four living creatures said. Amen. And the elders fell down. And worshipped him. You see this morning I spoke of Jesus being. The Passover lamb. When Jesus and his disciples gathered. For the Lord's supper. Jesus was revealing to them. What they knew from Moses. It was a shadow. It was a. It was a foretelling it was a trailer in our terms of the of the real movie the real premiere which is Christ Jesus he was teaching them that what you've seen while wonderful and amazing and great pales in comparison to what I will do to what Christ Jesus will do we see God delivering the nation of Israel we think that's incredible how could he do that that's amazing how could it get any better But yet Christ Jesus through his blood has delivered every believer for all time out of slavery of sin. Delivered into new life. Given him his Holy Spirit. That goes far above and beyond what he did for Israel in Egypt. Which in itself was amazing and God be praised for that. But how much greater is what he has done through his sacrifice. Through the giving of his own physical body. Dying in our place. Pouring out his blood to cover our transgressions. So it is Jesus Christ who is the lamb who was slain. The ultimate Passover lamb. This is why we don't need to observe the Passover anymore. We have something greater than the Passover. This is why we observe the Lord's Supper. We do this to remember what he has done for us. We honor his sacrifice and we proclaim his death until he returns again. And when he returns and rescues us all to be with him forever as his kingdom, as his priests in the new heaven and the new earth that is New Jerusalem. That is what he has done for us. He has redeemed for himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, a people forgiven of sin. Alive in him and freed to live the life that God always intended for mankind to have. A life united to him fully and not separated in any way. So today again, this is why the Lord's Supper is so important. This is why we revere what we did here today. Because of what he has done, what he is still doing. And what he will do. And because of this, we proclaim worthy is the Lamb. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we. I have no words. It's hard to imagine the sacrifice that you gave we we can read about it in the book lord we can we can hear all the all the we can see all of it given in the gospels but but still to think about you hanging on that cross to think about you being nailed to that being mocked and beaten and scorned and hated and rejected by the world You did that because you love us. And you wanted to cover our sin once and for all with your blood so that our sin could never condemn us again. And because of you, we are not condemned any longer, but we are free in your Son. Thank you for giving yourself for us. didn't just stop at that. You didn't just let make our sin go away God but you gave us a whole new life a whole new purpose a whole new existence, a whole new creation you created us for good things in you and you empower us to walk in them with your Holy Spirit God we thank you and we praise you and we proclaim that worthy is the Lamb Christ Jesus, the only one who is worthy, the only one who can save us, the only one who can deliver us is your Son. He is, he is worthy of all power and all glory and all honor. Anything we could ever give, He is worth that and more. He has proven Himself to be worthy. Lord, we just revel in that. We don't have to bring a defense of ourselves to you. All we bring to you is faith and belief in your son looking to him. And you give us your forgiveness and you pour it out over and abundantly, immeasurably because you are immeasurably good. You've rescued us from the just judgment that we deserved and given us your wonderful and inconceivable grace. Help us to walk in that grace by faith and help us to pour that out and proclaim your son's death to the world so that others might enter into his life. In his forgiveness, that his name may be honored and glorified for all time. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen. At this time, I...